Well, good morning, church. We're glad you're here this morning. Today, we are beginning a new series called Together, and I just want to tell you from my heart to yours that if there was ever a series that's appropriate for us as a church in this season that we're in, it's right now, because I want to take some moments before we even jump into this, and we're going to take a little time and pray this morning, all right? Is that okay with you? We take some time to pray because we got some people in our church that just need our prayer. You know, we think about together, and we're going to unpack that over the next six weeks, what it means, togetherness, and all that kind of stuff. But listen, we got some people in our church that are quarantined right now because they've been exposed to COVID. we got some people in our church that have COVID that are quarantined. We have a family in our church that, that lost the patriarch of the family. I'll talk more about that later. And so the funeral's tomorrow. And so we've just got people that are hurting. And if there's ever time for the church to realize we need each other, Today would be that day, I believe. All right, so let's just, will you just join me in praying? Lord God, I love you, and I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you that as we come together as the body of Christ, that we would realize there is a sense of togetherness that we all need. We, we need each other, Lord, and I know that's cliche, and I know that's something that, that we hear in church all the time, Lord, but I know there are people that are hurting today. There are people in this room today that need a voice of encouragement. They need a, a person to put their arm around them and say, it's going to be okay. God is in control, and God is with you, Lord. I pray for those families that are quarantined due to exposure. I pray for those families that that COVID is taking their body, Lord, and they're sick. And Lord, pray for our families. I pray for the Mack family, and I pray for the Brooks family, and all those involved, Lord, as they lost the, the patriarch of that family. And Lord, I, I pray for them. I pray your presence and your spirit will be thick and heavy on them today. Lord, I pray as we dive into this series that for all of us as the body of Christ, this wouldn't just be the next series we'd go through, but this would be something that would cause us reason to pause and go, you know what? We need togetherness. We need it. I need it. We all need it. Lord, may this be a series that truly changes the trajectory of our lives, but of our church. Lord, so be with us. Bless us today. And it's in your son's name we pray. And the church said what? Amen. And the church said amen. You know, as we began to think about this series, uh, maybe a couple of months ago, I began to think about something that, that I was able to do several years ago, probably about, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, nine years ago, uh, three years, about three years before, I, I've been here three years, and so before then, and I was uh, able to not only pastor church, but I got to do kind of my childhood dream. Before God called me into ministry, I had one thing I wanted to do in life, I wanted to coach football. That's what I wanted to do. I love football, and all I wanted to do was coach. And so when, when God called me into ministry, I mean, it's kind of the same thing because I love teaching. It's just a little different. You just can't yell at people, and that's okay. And so anyway, I really, I got an opportunity to coach football, and so I was already the chaplain of the varsity football team, but where I'm from, we have junior high football. So 7th and 8th grade, have your own, you have your own teams, and you travel and you play teams just like high school plays, and so we did that. So the first couple of years, I was the offense and defensive line coach, which makes a lot of sense, right? And so I was coaching them. I played offensive and defensive line, so that was easy. But then the last two or three years, I was asked, hey, Doug, would you be the head coach for the 8th grade football team? And I sat down with our, our varsity head coach and said, listen, I just don't know enough stuff. I mean, I played football. I know a lot about football, but you're asking me to do something I just don't know what I can do. I, I don't know. He's like, well, just spend some time with me, and here's all I'm asking you to do, which sounds like a lot, but it wasn't that bad. He said, I just want you to design, to develop, and implement an offense that looks a lot like what we run at high school. And I said, well, I don't know if I can do that. He said, well, just spend some time with me. So he taught me, and we learned some stuff. And, and so I remember when I first took the coaching reins at the eighth grade level and all these, these boys, and, and I remember teaching them. And, you know, and it was a challenge if you've ever been around eighth grade boys. It is a challenge, amen? 
And if you can't say amen to that, I hope you get some eighth grade boys around you sometime. It was just a challenge. And, and the, thing, the challenge was this, is that I had to teach, not it's 11 who played on the field at one time, I had to teach the whole team exactly what they were going to do on every play. We had about 25 plays in our playbook, and we had variations of every play. And so we had to teach them. And so I had to teach the linemen, who am I going to block? When am I going to block? How am I going to block? When do I block differently? I had to teach the receivers, what are your routes? If they're a, a, a pass route, here's what you got to do for every receiver. We ran a West Coast offense, so there's four receivers, and so there's people running everywhere. I mean, it is crazy. Then you had to teach the quarterbacks what kind of drop they had. Was it a three-step drop, a five-step drop? Were they going to roll out and pass it? I mean, I had to teach all this stuff, and that was quite the challenge. I mean, in fact, I'm just not that smart, and so we struggled a lot, and so when I finally got really good athletes, we just killed everybody because I would say, pitch it and run. Let's go, buddy. Let's score some touchdowns, and we did, but here's the thing. While that was a challenge to teach them all this stuff and implement it, do you know what the greatest challenge was for me? It was getting the kids to buy in. Here's what I mean. Getting the kids to buy into this, that on every single play, every single play, it takes all 11 of you to make one play work. It takes Now, if you're the backside guard and you miss your block, you're going to screw this play up. If you're the backside receiver and we're breaking one and you don't block your guy, he's going to catch us. And so the, the trouble, the greatest challenge I had in coaching, yes, I love designing. Yes, I love developing it. And we had like the little armbands. I mean, we were like, it was awesome. I mean, I, I, I love that season of my life. But the challenge really was going, are they bought into it? Are they buying and thinking this? that it really takes all 11 of us, even the plays going away from me and I'm on this side of the field, it takes all 11 of us to make one play work. I told them this, I said, guys, if everybody will do what you're supposed to do every single play, we will never get fewer than four yards. And most of the time, we'll probably get a touchdown. Because if we get no fewer than four yards, guess what? That means we are never going to what? Have to punt the football. And getting those kids to buy into that. Now, you know as well as I do, eighth grade football, did they all buy into every play? Nope, nope they did not. Right? In fact, I would say that they didn't buy into 85% of the plays we ran. But those few percentage of plays that we ran, that they were bought in, they were just like, you drew them up like you're playing them on a video game. They were just perfection. But that was the greatest challenge of my coaching career, which was very, very short. And I would say this. I think that is the greatest challenge in the church, too is buy-in. I think as, as a pastor, you know, say, hey, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been pastoring for like 12. I mean, I think the greatest challenge that I have faced as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, is getting people bought in. You see, I mean, bought into the church? No, 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 not, not that kind of buy-in, because this is a great church. I'm talking about bought in this, that all of us play a part, that every single one of us are part of the body of Christ. And every single one of us have a part to play. And all of us are important in the play. I mean, even if you're, listen, when I would ask the kids, who wants to be the running back? Who wants to be the quarterback? Who wants to be the receivers? Guess who would sign up for that job? Come on, who would sign up for that? Everybody. When I said, who wanted to be the left guard? You know who wanted to be the left guard? Nobody. I mean, even the slowest, biggest kid on the team still wanted to be a receiver over there. Nobody wanted to be the guard. But listen, it takes the left guard to make the quarterback and the running back look really good, right? And I'm just, I want you to know my heart as we launch into this series that my greatest struggle and the greatest challenge that I face in my spiritual journey of leadership of this church is I want there to be buy-in, buy-in that you matter, buy-in that the cliche is true. We are better together. We really are. 
that together we will accomplish more. Together we will have greater impact. And together we will have more reach than we've ever had on our own. That together we are better. And so just hear me on this. I have a motivation during this entire series, all right? Here's my motivation. I want you to be burdened and convicted, hopefully not by me, but by the Holy Spirit, that you are a part of God's team and that you matter and that you have got to have 100% buy-in to how God has gifted you, wired you, enabled you so that you can help build up the body of Christ. That's my motivation. And I want to make it clear out of the get-go. We are better together. If you believe that, say amen this morning. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're going to talk about the truth of togetherness. I want you to turn to a familiar passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. And then we're really going to look at three different truths about togetherness. And the first truth is found in verse 12 and 13. We're going to read a lot today, so I'm going to let you stay seated for right now. But in chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 12 through 13. It says this, for Paul says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into the body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one of the one spirit. Now, Paul says the first thing. The first thing we need to know is that we look at three truths. Here's the first truth. We are one, but many, right? We are one, but many. That is a truth that we all need to understand. So when Paul talks about oneness, he's talking about we are unified, we are one, we are together, yet we are Many, we are diverse. And so it's a, the body of Christ is a unique thing because on one hand, we are one and together. On the other hand, we're together, but yet we are diverse. And if you notice in the passage, verse 12, Paul starts by dealing with this notion of unity. Go back to verse 12. Look what he says. For just as the body is what? One and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now he starts with unity of the human body. Now, I think we would all agree with this, and if not, we should agree with this, that when we think about the human body, is it not the most unparalleled organic creation of God? I mean, isn't it incredible? Now, I, I, I was doing some research, and then I realized that the research I was doing was well above my pay grade, and that I, didn't, I was going to show how much I didn't know versus how much I did know, because I started studying the human body, and look at the human body, and just looking at the brain, and the way the brains receives and send messages. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you, probably some of you could, could begin to tell you what is going on in my body and in my brain for just the fact of me being able to raise my hands and point my fingers and all that takes place. I mean, it is a miracle that we're able to do the things we do. Even just the eyeball, if you were to take the eye and you were to study how receiving light and sending light and how the eye receives things and processes it and sends, I mean, we have the most unparalleled, beautiful, organic creation of God in the human body. Do you agree with that? Here's the thing about the human body. The human body was not designed to be subdivided like a piece of property, right? So if you lose a piece of the body, what happens to the piece you lose? It dies. In fact, I remember when I was a youth pastor, uh, I, was, I was at, a, uh, actually I was a pastor and I was at this football game and, and on Sunday afternoon uh, after the Friday game, I was at church and, and then that day I got a call from some parents that said, hey, can you meet us at the hospital? They're going to life flight our son to St. Louis because he's almost lost his thumb. And, and so I get there to the hospital and uh, basically what happened is a guy named Jake, he was using a log splitter. I don't know really what a log splitter does exactly except 
split logs. I'm not sure the process of it, but somehow he pushed it too far with his thumb and it took his thumb off and it was hanging. I mean, I, I, they didn't show it to me. They just told me it was hanging by the skin. And when I got there, his hand was wrapped up bigger than my head. I mean, it was just like wrapped up, had ice. And I said, why they wrapped it up so big? Is it because they're trying to do all they can to keep the thumb viable so they can do what to it? Reattach it. Why? Because if this thumb gets separated from the body and it's not viable to reattach, it will die. Now, why does it die? Because God designed the human body that every piece we have works together so that we can live better and live more the way God wants to live. I mean, every part, I know some of you thinking, well, I can live without this, and I, can, I know that. I don't have a gallbladder. I get that. But you know what? I know this too. If you've lost your gallbladder, God had a gallbladder for a reason, right? I mean, there's a reason for that, and the way things process, I mean, every piece that God has given us and made us with is needed to the betterment of our body. And so he starts with this human body, and he correlates it to the body of Christ. And basically what he's saying is this, hey, listen, church, every true believer is part of the body of Christ. Corporately, yes, but you're also part of a local body of Christ. You are part of the body of Christ. And every single member of the body is needed. Are you with me on that? Every single member of the body is needed. That's why some people, you talk to people, maybe you've gone through this, man, you got out of church, you disconnected, and you just felt this emptiness inside of you. You know why? Because you cut yourself off from your life support. You were like the thumb being taken away, and you cut yourself off, and you began to die on the vine spiritually. See, the reality is this, is that he says, I want you to take the concept of the human body, and I want you to apply it to the body of Christ. Every member is needed. And then he tells us how we are together in the body of Christ. He says the reason we're together is because we've experienced one baptism into the body and we drink of one spirit. Now, those are phrases I want to explain for a minute because we talk about baptism here. Typically, we know the word baptize is the word baptizo and it means to be immersed. Paul is not talking about water baptism here. He's talking about, if you think of the whole chapter in context, he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, real quickly for my brothers and sisters of different denominations, let me explain to you what that is. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the moment we say yes to Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit comes into our life. That's when we've been back. We are totally immersed in the Holy Spirit, when the indwelling, when if you're a child of God and you said yes to him, immediately the first thing that happened was the Holy Spirit comes and he lives inside of you. He says, listen, we have been united with Christ because we all have the same spirit in us. And then he says, and we all drink from that one spirit. That word drink there really gives the imagery of filling, that we drink to be filled, right? And his point is this, now we indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but we are all filled by the Holy Spirit. You say, Doug, Aren't those two things the same? And the answer is, they're not. Indwelling means the Holy Spirit lives in me. Filling is those moments when I live a life yielded to the Holy Spirit, and I see him moving and working in and through me. For example, let's say you've got a neighbor that doesn't know Christ. And you've been that person going, you know what, I don't want to go share with him, I don't want to share with him, but the Holy Spirit is prompting me to go share. What if I don't know enough? What if I can't say the right stuff? And you go over there, and when you're done, you're like, oh my gosh, who was that person at the other house? I said things I didn't know to say. I was so eloquent when I'm usually so, I stumble over my words. I mean, I, I was able to be used by God in a way that I never dreamed of. Why? Because in that moment, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. Meaning you activate and say, I'm going to exercise the Holy Spirit in me by yielding and living according to him. Now, here's Paul's point. You ready? 
that the reason we're all together, the reason we're all one, is because we have all had the same Holy Spirit in us who fills us. And here's the major point Paul's getting at. This idea of oneness and togetherness is not a goal to be achieved. It's a reality to be realized. Now hear me on that. The idea of us being together and us being one is not a goal we're trying to achieve as a church. It's a reality that we need to realize. We are, we are one in Christ. Amen? We are one. We have been united with Christ. All of us, if you're a child of God, we've been united with Christ, and every piece of the body of Christ, every member of the body matters. So Paul says we are one, yet he also says not only are we one, but we also, we are diverse. And second of all, he picks up on this idea of diversity before we move to the next point. Look at verse 14, what he says. For the body does not consist of one member, but what? Not one, but what? Many. I want you to write this down. Diversity is essential for unity. Diversity is essential for unity. Guess what? What would you look like if your whole body was a foot? Think about that. I'm not saying how smelly and nasty. I mean, but if you, if you were just a foot, every part of you was a foot, how appealing would that be? Come on, would that be appealing at all? What if all of us were feet? All we were were feet, Right? Now, here's my point, is while we are one body, we are many, many members. We are diverse. We are different. And so what Paul is trying to drive out is that diversity is essential for unity. We are one body, but we are not one member. We are many members. Another thing we need to know about diversity is that diversity doesn't diminish your value. Look with me in verse 15 through 20. Look what Paul says. He says this, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, make not, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Did you get that? If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now listen, here's what Paul says. Many of us will look at other people's, maybe their spiritual gifts, because that's what Paul's talking about here. And we'll say, well, maybe I, maybe I don't have the spiritual gift of teaching like a Don Jacobs or maybe a Randy Walker or we'll look at other people's abilities and talents. Well, maybe I don't have the vocal ability of an Alejandro or a Patrick or a Rachel or Elijah or whoever sings up here. I, don't, I mean, we look at that and we begin to covet those things. And, and what Paul is saying, listen, just because we're diverse doesn't mean you get to diminish your value. Each and every one of you, however you're gifted, however you're able, whatever your talents are, each and every one of you are equally valued. Do you see what he said in verse 17? He said, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In other words, listen, I know some of you wish you had other people's gifts. I wish I was as gifted as that guy. I wish I could preach like Elijah. I wish I could do that. I wish you could do this. Listen, what Paul is saying is we are all one in Christ, yet we're all diverse. And we're all diverse, and you cannot let the diversity we experience diminish your value. 
I know the guy with the gift of teaching gets to preach every Sunday. I know the people that are talented to singing sing every Sunday. I know that stuff. And these are the ones that are up front. But listen, these are not the most important gifts. These are not the most important responsibilities. We are all one in Christ, and we all have a role and responsibility, and they all are equally important and valuable. So when I ask the football players, who wants to be an offensive lineman? Nobody wants it. When I ask them defensive line, yeah, because they get to hit people and don't go to, to, go to uh, you know, get attention for it. They love that, but they think that the, this is what matters and these things don't matter. Listen to me. I don't know how God has gifted you, but however he's gifted you, it is valuable in the body of Christ. In fact, look what, look what he says in verse 18. Go back to verse 18. This is crucial for us. Verse 18, he says this, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he what? Chose. God has gifted you the way God saw fit to gift you. Did you hear me on that? God has gifted you the way he saw fit to gift it. So in other words, here's what Paul's saying in a roundabout way, and Doug's just going to be a little more pointed. We need to stop complaining and comparing and start celebrating how God has gifted us. Because we are all needed in the body of Christ. So just because we're diverse doesn't mean you can diminish your value. And another thing about diversity I want to say is diversity doesn't mean you can disregard other people's values. Look at me in verse 21 through 24. The eye cannot say to the hand. Now remember, before it was, if I'm the hand, I shouldn't say, you know, I, if I'm not an eye, I can't, I can't be part of the body. He flips the narrative here in verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and are not, and indispensable, which are not, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor, and our, un our, um, and our unpresentable parts are treated with the greater modesty, which our most presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. In other words, because you may have a gift that's a public gift, an upfront gift, an upfront talent, doesn't give us the right to look at other people and say they're not talented and they're not needed. Are you hearing me on that? Now, I've known a lot of people who have what we would cons consider upfront spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities that fill the stage many times. And many of them find this, this notion in them, you know what? I don't really need anybody else. I've met people like that. I've got friends that have wrestled with that. Listen, and what Paul is saying is that we need to realize that just because we're diverse, yes, diversity is essential to unity. Yes, diversity doesn't diminish my value, but if I have one of those gifts that appear to be showier, appear to be more valuable, even though it's not, I've got to make sure my diversity doesn't cause me to disregard other people's value. He said, in fact, we should treat them as part of the honor, and they deserve value in the body of Christ. Now, let me just say this real quick. As I look across the room, here's something you need to hear me say. I need you guys. See, the older I get, I don't know if I'm getting smarter or if I just screw up so many times I'm learning, but the older I get, here's what I realize. You know, I, I listened to a podcast before I planted the church in 2010, where in Proper Bluff, where I'm from. I planted a church, and I was, I was reading and listening to everything about planting churches. And I came across a, a, a sermon by Andy Stanley, and he said something. It was a leadership sermon, and he said something that I've never forgotten. He said this. He said, as a pastor or leader, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but you better surround yourself with the smartest people in the room. And I've never forgotten that. And the older I've gotten, the more I've realized I need people. 
You know, as I look across the room, there's some, I mean, all of you, but there's some of you in particular, your faces just jump out that I need you. Like, I, I need like a Jason Belcher over here. You know why? Because Jason Belcher is that voice of calm in my life. When, when something's going on or we're in small groups, he has a, sense of, a sensitivity to the spirit that sometimes I don't have. I need Jason Belcher in my life. I need a Tyler Peck in my life who's always, man, he's just, he loves the Lord and it is viral and it's contagious just to be around him and his passion for the Lord. I need a Craig God because Craig keeps me grounded. Craig is that one that reminds me of, you know, this stuff is great, vision's great, but we got to have the nuts and bolts of things going on here. And he reminds me that I need Miss Sylvia and Miss Donna because when you laugh and you smile and you bring yourself into the room the way that you guys come in, it revives the joy of the Lord in my heart. I need people around me. Don't you? We need people. And so when we think about diversity, diversity can't make us feel like my value is diminished or can't make us diminish other people's value. We need one another. The second thing he says is verse 25 through 26. The first truth is we are one, yet we're many. Here's the second truth, verse 25 through 26. He says this, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer how? Together. If one member is honored, all rejoice how? Together. Here's the second thing. We need togetherness. We do. While we are one but many, we need to understand, second truth is this, we need togetherness. See, here's what I, I learned, and what I'm learning as I read this passage. When we begin to value how God has gifted and ta- made talent and enabled other people, when we begin to value other people, you know what it protects the church from? Paul said it. Division. You know, I've been part of a lot of churches all my life, and, and I'm just going to take a quick poll here. Have you ever been part of a church that divided, that had some division in the church? Okay, Was that a great experience in your life? It's a terrible experience, wasn't it? My first church that I served in, I was 18 years old, a youth pastor. Should never have been hired as a youth pastor at 18, but I was youth pastor. The church ran about 32 people, and I had like four kids in my youth group. And I remember one day, it was a small church, Lone Hill Baptist Church, in the middle of nowhere. And I remember one day they had a business meeting, because back in the old days, Southern Baptist churches had business meeting, I think, twice a week. Anyway, we had this business meeting, and I was sitting there, and they were trying to decide truth, promise you the truth. They were trying to decide between curtains or blinds on the windows in the church. Curtains or blinds. And I've never seen people be so ugly and so hateful, Miss Sylvia, as talking about (laughs) curtains and blinds. I'm telling you. I I thought, I was 18 years old. I thought, this is what church is. I don't know if I want this. Why? Because, listen, when we don't value other people, we think we're always right. When we don't value other people, we don't value their opinion. When we don't value other people, we don't value their perspective on things. And that can easily create division in the church. He's saying, listen, when we come together and realize we need togetherness, when we realize and we begin to value one another, it protects us from division in the church. It also gives us a heart to truly care for one another. Did you pick up on what he said there? He said that, that the members may have the same care for one another. When we come together and we really value each other. Yes, it protects us from division, but also it gives us a heart to care for one another. Meaning this, that you care for the VIPs that are watching your kids today as much as you care for this pastor. You care for the people that are a host team that welcome people as they walk in this, this building as much as you do your small group leader. When we truly value people, we have a care and a concern for them like never before. Now, let me tell you why that's important. When we truly value people, When we get to the place where we truly 
value people, we will realize this. We need each other. Hey, does anybody have any flaws in the room? Tyler, any flaws? Okay, I'll just check in with you. Anybody have any flaws? Yeah, we have flaws. But you know what? I still need you. Guess what? Newsflash, hard to believe, I have a lot of flaws. But you know what? You still need me. We need each other. And so when we value each other, we realize how much we need each other. Because listen Paul what says. He says, when the body of Christ, here's how it's supposed to work. That when one member suffers, who suffers? Everybody suffers. Hey, listen. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you and transparent. I'm tired of death. I'm tired. We've had so much death around the church in the last month. I've got a, one of my friends that I grew up with, best friend who died of COVID three days ago. I mean, just, I mean, death after death. I'm sick of death, but you know what I know? That I'm surrounded by a body of believers and we need each other. If there's ever a moment when we go through difficult times, we need the body of Christ to come alongside of us. We lost somebody in our church this week, Chuck Mack. Terrible. Had COVID, passed away. He's a family, he's a brother to Leah Brooks and to the Mack family. And we've been serving and loving on them and caring for them. Listen, what we've been able to do for that family last week is what the body of Christ does. We love each other, amen? amen. We care about each other. We're there for them. And Paul says, listen, the body of Christ should so value each other that when one member suffers, guess what? We all suffer. And when one member rejoices, guess what? We all rejoice. I had a great illustration today, but neither one of them are here today. We have two pregnant ladies in the body of Christ with us, and I was going to have them stand up, and we were going to rejoice that, that Casey Jacobs has got twins coming, and Hannah Brantley's got another one coming. Yeah, I know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that, but you got another one coming, and, but they're not here, maybe because they're morning sickness. I don't know, but when you see them next, we should rejoice with them. I mean, isn't having a child one of the most amazing things in the world? Yeah, I know you're thinking you're teenagers. I'm talking about kids, right? The babies, they're awesome, right? Listen, here's my point. When we value one another, when we truly value, we realize how much we need one another. That when one of us are hurting, we all hurt. When one of us rejoice, man, we all celebrate. Here's the point I want you to walk with. And maybe you want to write this down. That in the body of Christ, here's what we learn. We learn interdependence, not independence. See, in the body of Christ, we need to learn interdependence, not independence. We need each other. Let me give you one more truth as we close this morning. Look with me at verse 27 through 31. Here's the last truth we're going to see. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and miracles, and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. All apostles are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in the tongues, and do all interpret. Now listen, Paul initially, here's what he's doing. He's just restating what he's already stated. He's not trying to have a theological debate on what are spiritual gifts or not. If you want that, we'll go to Romans 12. But he's just saying, man, God has equipped people differently in the church. He's just reiterating this fact that we are one, but we are what? Many. We're diverse. And only diverse, we still need each other. Because you've got one that can do this gift, but can everybody do that gift? Can everybody teach? No. So we need each other. But here's the climactic point of the passage. Look at verse 31. He said this, but I earnestly desire, but I want you to earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. So Paul starts with just reiterating everything he says, and then he says this phrase that's very unique in the Greek language. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, 
There's some ambiguity in this one phrase, and I want to explain the ambiguity because I think both of them are correct. On one hand, some translators, and there's a little bit of tension in the translation, some translators will put the word you in there, that you, because the tense of the phrase earnestly desire, means you earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, that would be true if you know anything about the Corinthian church. They believed that if they were going to be super spiritual, you had to speak in tongues. And the only way to be spiritual is to speak in tongues. And Paul spends much of the letter telling them that they are absolutely 100% wrong, that speaking in tongues is not the sign of spiritual maturity. So on one hand, Paul is rebuking this church, rebuking the Corinthian church, going, hey, listen, you've desired the higher gifts, what you view as the showier gifts, and Paul's rebuking them. So that's one side of this phrase. The other side of this phrase is a challenge. I want you to earnestly desire the higher gifts. What are the higher gifts? The translation could be the gifts that are serviceable. I want you to desire the serviceable gifts, meaning I want you to desire gifts that build up the body. Listen to 1 Corinthians. It won't be on the screen. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14. Paul goes, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people, their, uh, their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. In other words, he said, listen, I want you to desire the gifts that build up the body. Forget about the showier stuff. Forget about the things you think are most important. I just want you to take how God has gifted you and use it to build up the body. I want you to earnestly desire to have a heart to build up the body of Christ. Now hear me on this church. If I were to ask you, from Melanie all the way over to Don, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Most of you would say I don't. A, that might be a foreign concept to you, B, you might say, I do, and have no idea what you mean by that. But I'm just telling you, it's important for the body of Christ to begin to discover what is our spiritual gift. Romans chapter 12, he lists seven gifts there that you ought to go read sometime. And we could talk about what that means sometime. But listen, we need to know what our gifts are because ultimately, as the body of Christ, you know the reason God has gifted us is not to keep it to ourselves. The reason God has given us the spiritual gifts he's given us is to build up the body of Christ. Here's what that means. If you have a spiritual gift and you don't know it and aren't using it to build up the body, that's sinful. He's given it to you not to hoard it, but to use it to build up the body of Christ. So he said, I want you to earnestly desire the higher gifts. And on one hand, it's a rebuke. Don't desire the showier things. But on the other hand, it's a sense of, I want you to desire the things that build up the body of Christ. And then he ends with this phrase, and then I will show you a more excellent way. That's a really intriguing phrase. I will show you more excellent way. What is the more excellent way he's talking about? The excellent way is I want to show you that above every one of these gifts, the most important way you can live your life. Above the spiritual gifts, I want to show you a more excellent way that should drive how you live your life. And you know what the more excellent way is? Anybody know? Because he spends a whole chapter on it right after this. Love. Love. Listen to this. Then I'm going to close. If I speak in the tongues of men, of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge and have all the faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to the burn, but have not love, I gain nothing. Listen, Paul says, in spite of everything you're pursuing, despite how you're gifted, despite how you're, you're talented, whatever it is, the greatest thing that we can do is make sure we're living a life driven by love. Not your love. 
His love. Agape love. You know what that looks like? Patient. Kind. Not envying. Not boasting. Doesn't keep record of wrongs. It always trusts, hopes, and it never fails. Listen, you want, you want to know what the mark of a healthy body of Christ is? It's how much they love one another. How much they love the Lord and how much they love one another. That's why we talk about loving God and loving people all the time because that's the mark of a healthy church. And so what Paul says here as he wraps this up is, I want to show you in spite of everything, I want you to know that togetherness is maintained by love. Yes, you're all gifted. And yes, I want you to pursue gifts that build up the body of Christ. But I want you to know the most excellent way to live your life is driven by love. So here's the things that Paul tells. Here's the truth that Paul lays out for us. First of all, that we are one, but we are many. We are united, but yet we are diverse. We need togetherness. We need each other. We need to learn interdependence, not independence. And then he comes to this last point that, that togetherness is maintained by love. Love can handle a multitude of sins, can't it? See, here's the thing. When love is driven by building the body of Christ up, it will maintain unity. We'll maintain togetherness. So today, I have, two, I have two prayers for us. Here's the first prayer. You ready? The first prayer is that we would realize the value in being together. Now, I don't want you to say amen, but I want you to think about this. There is value in you being in your seat today. Did you know that? There's something that you get when you're here with the body of Christ corporately that you don't get on your own. You don't get when you watch television. You don't get when you watch it on Facebook. You don't get when you watch a YouTube. There's something about being together. And I want you to realize the value in being together. And I know what you're saying. Doug, you're preaching to the choir. I know that. But there's going to be temptation that the enemy is going to want you to drift away from church. He's going to want you to walk away from church and say, you know what? I can go do this. I don't have to be part of that. Listen, there's value in being together. There's value in being corporately together worshiping the one king. But I also want you to realize there's valuing, value in working together, right? I'm talking about serving. There's value in us serving together. Listen, there's nothing that does my heart any more, create any more joy than when we are out of the church wearing our t-shirts serving our community. Like when we did the Backyard Bible Club, or you did the, the distribution of the, the school products, or we're going to do the Boo Fest for Neighborhood Center for Families, or we're going to do whatever we're going to do when we're out there serving together, or serving together the people, the, the people that I love and am so appreciative of, they come every Sunday morning at 7 o'clock when many of you are still in bed, and they set all this stuff up, and they take time. I mean, it, listen, it's hot in here when we get here in the mornings, and they take time every week, and it takes about an hour, and they set everything up. There's beauty in working together and serving together. But I want you to know this. There's also, I want you to realize there's beauty in doing life together. Many of you are part of a small group. And I'm going to tell you, I talk about small groups sometimes, and I know that you may look at some pastor and go, you talk about small groups, pastor, but are you in one? And the answer is, yes, I am. Monday nights. Now, summer's been crazy. I had a kid to get married. Kid got moved. I mean, it's been crazy. But you know what? I look forward to my Monday night men's group. I look forward to sitting around a group. Used to be five of us. Now there's like 16 of us sitting around a table of men going, you know what? We are all broken and we all need a touch from the Lord tonight. There's something powerful about that. I love being with a men's group. I love it. And I'm telling you, there's something valuable about doing life together. And many of you, maybe you're not in a small group. So here's my second prayer for us, that maybe some of you, as you leave here this morning, in fact, in your seats there, you have a little slip of paper. Can I have that one, Elijah? You bring me yours for a second. Thank you. 
This is our current small groups. And you may say, man, I, I can't come on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. It's terrible. Well, great, because we have some that don't meet on Sunday morning. Or you may say, I can't make a Monday night or a Thursday night moms or a married couple on Saturday. Great, we have five that meet here on Sunday mornings. You need to get connected, not because we want to count your numbers. Listen, because I understand that when you're connected in a small group, that's where real discipleship happens. That's where iron begins to sharpen iron. That's where you begin to explode in your faith. That's where you build community like you've never had before. And so maybe for some of you today, you need to take this home and say, you know what, honey? You know what, hubby? We need to get in a small group. Our kids need to be in a small group. Maybe that commitment you make today. I, my, my prayer is that you would make a commitment this morning of togetherness. For some of you, that's being in a small group. For others of you, that's walking out in our table out there and signing up for Discover Cross Life, saying, you know what? I need to plant myself at this church. I believe in what they believe in. I want to be part of this. And you need to sign up for next week. We start Discover Cross Life for two weeks, and you need to be part of something. And you need to walk out and put your name on that sheet. For some of you, you need to go outside of that same table and pick up this form that says place, uh, place to serve. And you say, you know what, where can I serve in the body of Christ so I can use my talents, my gifts, and my abilities to build up the body? Here's my point. My prayer is simple this morning, is that we as a church, that we would make a commitment of togetherness, that we would commit to serve together, to really worship together, and to do life together. Because guess what? We need each other. You may not believe it, but you're wrong. We need each other. I can tell you story after story after story to prove this point. We do need each other. And so would you make a commitment this morning of togetherness? And maybe for some of you today who don't have a relationship with Christ, you need to experience the greatest togetherness, that you need to know that the Lord Jesus wants to spend forever together with you in all eternity, and that only happens through a personal relationship. If you never trust him, I'm going to be standing right here and would love to talk to you about that. So right now, I'm going to ask everybody if you would just stand with me. Everybody stand with me if you would. Every, eye bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. I just want to ask you a couple of questions before I pray. Do you really buy in that you're valuable to the body of Christ? Do you really buy that? I'm going to tell you, you may say yes outwardly, but for many of you, you have some great big insecurities. And I'm just telling you, that's coming from the evil one, the enemy. And I want you to realize you do matter, that you are valuable to the body of Christ, and we need you. We are one, yet we are diverse. This morning, do you buy into the truth that we really do need each other? Do you buy into the notion that we need more interdependence than independence? We need each other. Do you buy in this morning that the greatest way you can help build up this body is by showing love for the Lord and for each other. My prayer is just simple this morning that we would make a commitment of togetherness. And maybe you're not connected this morning. Maybe this is your first time here. Man, you picked a great day to be here because we have one of the most loving churches I have ever been a part of in my life. I love these people. And everything I'm talking about, caring for one another and, and paying attention and, and coming to meet other people's needs, this church meets it like I've never experienced before. But maybe as we leave today, you need to make a commitment for some of you that are members to say, you know, I need to be serving. Or I need to be in a small group. Or maybe some of you today say, I just need to commit to be together with them and join that church. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart, would you just be faithful to respond to that this morning? God, I love you. 
I thank you for today. God, as a part of me just wants to keep on talking about togetherness because I realize in my life at 48 how much I need these people. They mean so much to me. They bring moments of joy, moments of reason, moments of just stability, moments of encouragement into my life. I need them. We need each other, God. And I pray that more than the cliche these next six weeks, that that would be the banner that we would wave and we'd buy into it. So if we're not connected in a small group, God, may you convict us of that. If we're not serving to build the body, may you convict us of that. If we don't belong and have not staked our roots somewhere and to be a part of a family, would you convict us of that? God, I just pray this morning that we would buy in to the notion of being together. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we would buy in to our need and buy in to making commitment to take a step to greater togetherness. So God, just be with us. Bless this time. Be with us as we worship you. And may you work in our hearts only as you can. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.